Hello, and welcome to the Television Spotlight on the Comic Book Page podcast. My name is John Mayer. In this episode, we'll be having a spoiler-filled discussion about a television show that we think you'll enjoy. In this episode, I'm joined by my sister, and we're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion on the first season of Andor. Or is it Star Wars Andor? It's never Not quite sure. clear. They just have Andor when they finally get to that, that title screen. Which Okay, first nitpick on the show. <laughs> We've got the Star Wars opening credit, or not credit, but title thing where they show, you know, the different helmets and droids and stuff like that with like a lightsaber kind of reflecting off them or whatnot. That eats up, I don't know, 30, 45 seconds. Cut to a space scene. Oh, wait, we're not starting the show. This is the slow 30, 35 second thing to get to the Andor title. It just felt a little excessive, a little indulgent, and not Star Wars. Well, I found the way the logo revealed confusing. I kept waiting for it to be like TIE fighter wings coming from the sides. Well, particularly the first time we see it, because normally we would cut to a space scene and then pan down into the action. Yeah. So to have something, oh, we're seeing it's like a planet, we're seeing some light, we're seeing things reflecting. It's like, maybe this is how they're revealing the action. No, no, this is, you know, 20, 30 seconds later. Oh, we're just telling us what show we know we're watching. Yeah. And it starts at the edges, which is part of what, for my eyes, just wasn't quite working. Yeah. It was, I thought it was a fail on a couple of levels. It also, the way they, the font or the way they did the logo, the O got the short end of the stick. And so it started looking to me like and or. The O being a negative space thing. Yeah. I, you know, I, I'd been reading or seeing a couple of headlines and actually skimmed one article that was saying that this is like the best Star Wars show ever. And I guess they watched a different show than I did. I mean, this was okay. It was, it was good. It was fine. It was not the best Star Wars show ever. Not for me. I'm not sure what at the moment I would say was. There were aspects of season one of Mandalorian that I really enjoyed. Yes. You know, I liked the way. To me, there was sort of a a humor to it is the way. Well, I mean, that that brings up a a solid point because with the Jedi, there is no do, there is no try, there is just do or whatever. With the Mandalorian, it is the way. There's a catchphrase. There is a mentality, a, a driving philosophy, whether we really know it, understand it, whatever. With this, this is the complete antithesis of that in so much as not only does Cassian Andor not seem to have any clear direction, the entire arc of the first season is essentially him going from whatever state he was in into, I guess, kind of sort of joining the rebellion at the end and maybe starting to get a direction that maybe, again, it's been long enough since I've watched Rogue One. I don't really clearly remember the character from there. Neither do I. But it's just... Well, okay, let's start with the first episode. To ju- Coming out of the first episode, I thought this was a series about an orphan on a mission to find his sister. Yes, and that was something that was what propelled the opening action and stuff, the opening scenes and, and all of that in the first episode, that we... The and Cassian basically keeps reacting to the developments of mm. throughout the entire series. 
Or but, season, I should say. Yeah, but he comes across in that first episode as someone who his life's mission has been to find his sister. Yes. He comes across as someone who will do anything to stay on mission and find his sister. Up until he gets thrown off the mission, at which point it just seems to evaporate. Exactly. And bad brother. I gotta say, bad brother. Bad sister for needing <laughs> to be found. <laughs> But, you know, you're right, because early on, he did have a mission, he did have a direction. It just, when he got derailed from that... He forgot it. He never recovered. It took six or seven episodes, at least, before we even get the backstory of why was he looking for his sister. Mm -hmm. And even all of that felt like a retcon from what little we did know of him from Rogue One and such. Well, and even when we get that backstory and we meet the characters or character Marva involved in that backstory, Marva's attitude is give up on the sister. Yeah. You know, I'm sorry that, you know, mea culpa, but give up on the sister. As opposed to not even a couple lines of, I did everything I could to help you well, find not, her. Not only not that, you know, here's what happened. I'm sorry. She's gone. Here's why it had to be that way. Here's everything I'd learned in the intervening years. Whatever. We not only didn't get that, but having started with looking for the sister, having developed it a little later and stuff, to never get any real resolution or insight or anything on that, it's as if they're saving that for a later season of, oh, the twist then is he finds the sister or the sister comes in, he didn't know he found her or something. Well, and there were a couple times when we meet women along the way and, you know, I I basically pitched to you at one point during the series of, okay, now that we know we had a community of children only, mm -hmm. and there is this, it makes sense in a warped way. You had a mining community, colony, whatever we're calling this, where conceivably we sent a bunch of single adults to do the mining. They were not supposed to have families. They were not supposed to have kids. There's a mining accident. The whole colony goes kaboom, or the whole operation goes kaboom. So conceivably, all the adults died or were lost to the accident. The kids they weren't supposed to have are the only survivors, and the company didn't come in. The, the problem I have with all of that is it seems like there should have been somebody, a token adult at the very least, overseeing the kids or something like that, because it seemed like whatever happened to the mining colony hadn't just happened. Right. It had happened potentially a few years earlier, because, I mean, these kids don't even know how to speak a standard language in this universe. Yeah. So it seemed like they developed their own culture, etc. So that meant to me that these kids were very, very young, i.e. not able to fend for themselves when whatever happened, happened. So I and guess we had the oldest kids looking after the youngest kids. But, but who was looking after any of the kids early on because the youngest would have been babies and the oldest apparently not really old enough to talk yet because they didn't pass the language down i mean there's so yeah. much there to be explored dealt with or whatever and it's just yeah it, it's just not and the problem i had well but let's go back to the idea i pitched which was basically a as we're meeting various characters like the deputy inspector mm -hmm. who turns out to be a full-on company man and i have a few theories on him there's a, this evil part of me, I guess you would say, that was a, what if he was another survivor of that community? Yes. Who we could have had, this is the the one that was rescued by the Empire versus the one that was rescued by a separatist. Yeah. And 
and the very different paths the lives could have taken. Yeah. And I think that would have been a very interesting mirror image kind of a story or whatnot, both fully bought into how they were essentially adopted and raised. Mm-hmm. But that's the story you pitched me while we're watching it, not yes. Tony yes. Gilroy or whatever pitched to, to Disney yeah. and what they made. And I don't know what was pitched, but we started with with one setup, spend a little time on that, that original planus, Fenris or whatever planet. Yeah. And then Cassian basically gets hired to go do a robbery. So suddenly we're doing a heist, I don't want to say film, but story for a couple episodes, including one where it's like, oh man, next time I think we're going to get the heist. And nope, nope. It's the one after that. We got to gotta stall for an episode on this. Mm-hmm. It was a very slow show. We get all of that. We then have, okay, he's got money, he's gone. Pick up a little while later, and he's on another planet. He's minding his own business, and the the Empire is basically cracking down on everything. So you seem a little squirrely. They're going to essentially arrest you for arrest you for for all of that. Boom! He's sent to a prison planet. We spend a few episodes there. Well, and the charges he's arrested on prior to his heist would have been six months. But because of the fallout from his heist, yes, it's a six-year sentence. Yes. Not that they're actually letting people loose at the end of six. And at that point, I'm like, I know he's not serving six years because this is five years before the Battle of Yavin or whatever. And I forget exactly where in the original trilogy that took place. But we know Cassian dies pretty much right before Star Wars Episode Four, or, you know, the original Star Wars, the fourth part of the saga, whatever. The whole numbering on this is insane. So if it's five years-ish before that, he can't be imprisoned for six years because then he wouldn't be in Rogue One. And then we got a a, a time paradox and there's no time travels involved in this story. So that's not going to happen. Well, but then there's the curiosity of who's going to break him out of jail. Is he going to break himself out of jail? Are his friends from the beginning of the series going to realize he's in jail and try to break him out? Are the people from the heist going to realize he's in jail and try to break him out? Is the Empire going to go find that he's in there under an assumed name and go pull him out for whatever reason, you know? Yeah. There there are a ton of things that could have happened. Yeah. And then it's, oh, they they do a jailbreak. And then we basically wind up with him going back to his uh, new home planet or whatever because his adopted mother has died and stuff. So we start with one status quo, ditch that after about three, four episodes for the heist status quo, go for that for about three or four episodes, ditch that for the prison status quo, go with that for about, I guess, three episodes or whatever, and then go back to some of the people from the first, go back to there. It just, and and the whole while, Andor feels like he is reacting to events and just being carried by the tide of Mm -hmm. the story and whichever way the winds blow. It's funny you say that, because I was about to describe him as rudderless. Yeah. Well, and to me, that was most epitomized when he gets arrested on that planet he's kind of, you know, vacationing at or whatever with his winnings from the heist, because he's literally just swept up by being in the wrong place at the wrong time and, and things happening and carried off to the prison planet. Mm-hmm. And even in the prison, it didn't seem, I mean, he, he had some inkling of, I mean, there was hints he was trying to make an escape plan or whatever, but only hints. So when they actually do escape, it almost seemed like dumb luck more than anything else. There were hints that he was paying attention to what was going on and he was thinking. 
Yeah, but I felt that could have been built up with a better montage sequence of things happening. It's like, okay, he's actually becoming friends with this guy. That guy had been noticing things. Mm -hmm. This other guy's doing stuff. They're putting stuff together. Maybe they're planning back in their their cells or whatever, something. Yeah. But we, we gloss over all of that. It's like there may have been a much better story that they set out to tell and just, I don't know, forgot to tell parts of it. It's funny because I liked the layout of the cells. I thought the prison was very interesting. I was intrigued once I realized that the number in their cell was days left mm -hmm. as opposed to their prisoner number. Yeah, it was their countdown or whatever. Mm -hmm. And you had also mentioned it would have been interesting if the assistant inspector, whatever his rank was, mm -hmm. when he was back with his mom and stuff, if their place resembled the prison cell. Mm -hmm. the, the layout for the bedrooms. Just the low-income housing, you yeah. know, because that would have been hilarious. Yeah. Well, because the way they did the the jigsaw layout of mm -hmm. the cells, kind of bunk beds, was really clever. And I think, like you said, the low-income housing, it would make sense for it to have the same bunk bed layout. Yeah, or something else that's basically showing the lack of innovation and creativity within the Empire. Yes. Or even the New Republic, for that matter. Yeah. The Old Republic, for that matter. I just felt... That while they had some good moments, some interesting stuff here and there, as a series, it didn't really come together. For me, as a series, it was slow. Yes. We watched most of it and then the last episode as it came out. Mm -hmm. So I had time to read an article or two, which normally I avoid every article. Yeah. But this was one where I was like, okay, what am I missing? One of the articles I was reading was... Very high praise of the fact that they didn't rely on kind of the hand-wavy force of, these are not the droids you're looking for. Okay, so we ditched the force entirely, which is a key aspect of the Star Wars franchise. Mm -hmm. Don't even reference the Jedi whatsoever, which is a key aspect of the Star Wars franchise. And even with all of that, this is only a half a step removed from the Skywalker saga in so much as this is the prequel of the prequel to the Star Wars stuff, using Rogue One as the, the go-between. Well, they wanted to emphasize, according to these articles, the force of the Empire. Well, and there was some interesting stuff being done, like how the crackdown had happened that led to him getting in jail, and how he wasn't going to get out of jail because, well, they don't need to let anyone go. And so there were some interesting things to that, and having him do the heist that led to the crackdown, pros and cons to that. Irony. Irony, yes. But I guess the problem I had with whatever they set out to do is it almost goes down to the name of the show, Andor. Yes. Cassian Andor. He is the title character. He's the title character, and every article I read emphasized that this was a show about the Empire. Not only is it about the Empire, how much of the show are we not only a step away from, not only not focusing on, on Cassian Andor, but not just a step away removed with people he's interacted with, but now people they've interacted with. And we spend enough time at one of the empires, the 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 IAB or whatever it was. ISB or whatever, ISB, yeah. whatever their secret police sort of a thing was, or intelligence agency was. We spend enough time with the politics in there, with some of them going back and forth and stuff. Yeah. Neither of which Cassian had met at that point, one of which he never meets. Yeah. And it's like the, the story sprawls out almost endlessly, but in the opposite way like the first season of the Heroes show mm -hmm. did back in the day, where we watched the first five, six, eight episodes 
And it's like they keep introducing a new plot point, a new new thread. And I'm like, are these ever going to come together? Yeah. Here, it started one way and it just keeps sprawling out. You you see somebody in a taxi, you know, next thing you know, you're following the taxi driver. Next thing you know, you're following his boss and then their cousin or something. I mean, it's not literally that way, but it- Close. I mean, finding, we're, we're with Cassian, he meets the buyer. The buyer turns out to be an antiquities dealer who deals with a senator. We deal with the senator's daughter at one point. One of the end little tag, okay, what's the, the end of the arc kind of a thing was was with the daughter. Yeah. I mean, that's- now, granted, that also happened to be the niece of the leader of the heist group that Cassian was working with. So there's, you know, at least a shorter path to that character. But ultimately, her fate has nothing to do with Cassian. Cassian has nothing to do with her fate. Yeah. And I was just amazed how unfocused the storytelling was. But from the articles I read, they wanted to show how vast the Empire was. And that would have been fine if they titled it something that gave yes. us that as a clue. And I agree. Because like in one of the articles I was reading was saying that people wanted to know what were they making in the prison. When yeah, they to had... get the tag at the end. And, oh, I guess that was it. Wow. Well, they flat out said what they were making in the prison was irrelevant. The part they were making, they didn't care what that part was. They didn't care. The only thing they cared about was how many. They wanted to focus on- They not caring. Who is the they? The people making the show. Fair enough. Okay. But then they show but, us anyways at the end. Well, we're left to assume it was a part for that. We actually saw that part with okay. the droids being put into the- But the point is not that it's- The point was that they needed prisoners to be making hundreds of these and that they had- you know, we're rolling cart after cart after cart of these parts. I, I took it as, as hundreds of thousands, well, potentially. Yes, but yes, yes, yes. But the the point is, it could have been that. It could have been a piece of a weapon. It could have it been stormtrooper armor. It could have been anything. Exactly. The part was meaningless. What's funny is we never see in any of the shots of the prison any ship taking anything like the parts they were building anywhere. Yeah. So it's like they had ideas, but they didn't fully form them. They didn't think them all the way through. It's like, okay, they're doing all the stuff on the prison and stuff. How do those parts get to where they need to end up? And the, the where they end up was, again, to set up the eventual Rogue One to set up Star Wars. Yeah. And it's not like I hated the show or anything. It had some moments. It, it had some interesting things. I mean, again, the heist stuff in and of itself, not horrible. The prison stuff in and of itself, not horrible. Bouncing between, you know, three or four different shows almost in the yeah. course of this. And that's just for Cassian. And then again, the whole stability side almost was with the buyer, they called Axis, I forget what his name Luthen. Luthen, thank you. He drove me nuts. He at least had a, a through line, as did part of the Empire, but even part of that was a little but I, incomplete. I didn't like what Luthen was trying to do. He was basically knowing that a rebellion had to happen, so he was escalating things to force it to happen. And he was very much a true believer in all the wrong ways. Yeah. He's certainly not the hero of the story by any stretch. He was certainly the hero of his own story. He was a plot device more than a character at times. Yes, yes. And that bothered me. And him coming back to personally deal with Cassian there at the end- Made no sense. It had to happen, though, so they could have that end moment with Cassian. 
Yes. It's like they wrote, here's where Cassian needs to end up, so I guess we have to do this to get to there. Yeah. I, I think that I, I'm torn if the problem I have is the story they chose to tell or the way they chose to tell the story. Well, if this was supposed to be how Cassian went from a guy who's constantly borrowing money from his friends, just barely making ends meet, and just barely this side of the law, if at all, to being an actual rebel. I, I took it less of going from wherever he started this show at to being a rebel to how did he become a rebel. In other words, I felt they had no particularly clearly defined backstory for him, and what little they did have, they veered from on this. So to, to, to have an arc, you had a landing point. He needs to get to where he starts Rogue One in. Okay. But you could have started that arc from anywhere. I mean, they could have just as easily have started it with him having been that assistant general inspector guy. Mm-hmm. You know, he could have been a, a true believer for the Empire, and then by the end of his arc before Rogue One is now the, the hardcore rebel against it. Mm-hmm. And that might have made for a better story. Yeah. So, again, it's been a while since I've seen Rogue One. We watched it around the time it came out. I don't remember when that was. Six that- years ago. Wow. Longer than I realized. Okay. I looked it up because I was trying to figure out why I couldn't remember which of these cast members were from Rogue One and which weren't. The only thing I clearly remember was the part of the movie, Rogue One, where they're doing the heist and they've got to pull the data out of the computer and it's like an almost Mission Impossible-esque sort of a thing. We've got it on on Blu-ray to watch again. I want to watch it again with this in mind. I want to watch it with this in mind, but I think the other thing that's going to be interesting they're filming the second season of Vandor right now. Yeah. So we've got presumably another 12 episodes. Mm-hmm. I don't know how long it'll be before it comes out. This season took about three years, I think, to do, partially because of the pandemic really oh, messing yeah. stuff up. The guy who played Andy... Andy Circus, who played... Kyo Lin? Yeah, Kyo Lin. Yeah. All right. So he was kind of the floor manager, if you will, among the inmates. He ran the room... That the inmates were in for doing the the slave labor to produce the parts. Mm-hmm. So he had the guys in the room, or the system had the guys in the room competing against each table against the other. The low performing table suffers. His game was room against room on the floor level. Presumably there's somebody at the floor level playing against other floors. Mm-hmm. Presumably somebody there is playing against other prisons mm-hmm. or other installations or something. Yeah. Even that, they never really get past the... I play against other rooms. Well, they did have one line of dialogue of if we achieve X, they actually put a flavor in our food. Yes. Yeah. This, that, and the other. So he did an interview that was kind of interesting because he said he nearly turned down the role because he'd been Snow and he was afraid all these conspiracy theories would come out. Oh. Of Kyo Lin becomes Snow. No, no. And uh, he said they have come out. Oh. That's and funny. he's very disappointed. But the people who made the show assured him that it's, you know, you can be two separate characters in the land of Star Wars. Well, when he was Snoke, I mean, that was, again, mostly a CG kind of character, much like his character of Gollum in Lord of the Rings or whichever ape he was in the Planet of the Apes stuff. It may have been Caesar. And I mean, he's he's done so much of that sort of, mm-hmm. of work and he's very talented at it. And he's also done quite a bit of, of regular live action work. Well, He's he was talking about first of all the backstory that he created for kind of himself going into this kind of a 
he he had so little on the page when he started, so he talked with the guys creating it. Yeah, it's not it's like kind of, the script had any definition yeah, for the character. You know, so it's kind of a, I gotta bring something to it. But he was saying that the set designers did such a great job in creating the set. And he said, you don't really think about it until you show up to film. But they had the hard metal floors and you're barefoot mm. on it all day. <laughs> Depending what time of year you're filming, that could be very cold or very hot. Yes. Oh, uh, but he said that you know, you film enough days in the prison. Again, set design, particularly in the prison where we're immersed in it, I thought was great. Yeah. I thought there were a couple of places where the city in the first scene that we go to on the other planet, Cassian's going down stairs on a city street. We see, I think, that same city street redressed. Same stairs, at least. Yeah. On his home planet. So there were definitely some places where it's like, okay, you're reusing this. It feels familiar, even though it looks different. I don't know how much, if any of this, is stuff they'd used for the Mandalorian in terms of sets or mm. whatnot. But mm -hmm. it felt familiar. Yeah. Even if we hadn't seen it before. So there were some places where, again, the prison they did really well. Other places, maybe not so much. Well, one thing you pointed out to me before we watched the final episode was that this was a very human-centric show. Yeah. One of the things I noticed, and it was really evident in the prison, everybody in the prison was human. And not humanoid. They didn't even have, like, Star Trek bumps on their forehead or, or anything yeah. like that. But throughout this entire 12-episode series, we spend time on multiple planets, including Corsicant, including in the Senate chambers. There is not a single key cast member key role in the story that is not basically a hundred percent human the closest we get is when things go wrong at the heist and somebody's injured and they've got to go to a doctor that doctor is alien four arms has kind of the almost the goggle lenses around the eyes much like the character in the final trilogy yeah that they go to there and find the lightsaber mm -hmm. i forget what that character's name is and that, that, that doctor here is essentially in one scene, and we cut back and forth to him a, a time or two. Doesn't say a whole lot. He's, he's a functional role, not a character. Yeah. But everybody on the heist is human. Everybody on Fenris or whatever is human. Everyone we see on Corsicant is human. Every major character. Yeah. There may be a few floating in the background. The next character in the finale that was a token alien was one that looked like it had kind of the gas mask yeah. with the extended snout. In other words, they didn't even do it as an alien, just, you know, put a long gas mask on kind of thing. And I don't know how much of that was cost-cutting, but compare that to the cantina scene in the original Star Wars movie. And part of what makes Star Wars Star Wars is all the aliens. Yeah. Even if they're just in the background doing stuff, making a big deal of it. You know, it felt like... I'm sure I could rewatch it. We could look in the background a little more carefully, and maybe we'd see some stuff in the background. I mean, we saw some Jawas occasionally and stuff like that, but uh, speaking roles. Speaking roles or even central to the plot roles. Yeah. And they were like, none. I mean, even the pilgrimage on the heist stuff, all of those could have been aliens. They didn't even have to say anything, just show up and, and march kind of a deal. Yeah. So I was shocked how human the galaxy seemed in this show. Yeah. So you take out effectively the aliens, the Jedi, the Force. We had two robots that really played into the story. The one being 
B, I don't know what his full name was, because if they said it, they said it once, maybe twice. But Cassian Andor's adopted mother's droid, which was a great, great droid, but we always seemed like an arm's length away from him kind of a deal, a step, step or two removed. So I would have liked to have seen more. So it's not like a BB-8 or C-3PO, R2-D2, or any of those that we've had. The only other droid that really factored into the story in any meaningful way was the one that held Cassian when he was getting mm. arrested. Yeah. And that one looked familiar from either Rogue One and or maybe Solo, which you still have to watch. We'll, yeah. we'll watch that at some point soon. I was just, if you took out the blaster, which had a very signature Star Wars look to it, and you took out the stormtroopers and you redressed the Empire officers in just other uniforms, this isn't a Star Wars show anymore. Yeah. You know, it had some of the window dressing, but the heart and soul of the story elements were pretty much excised from it. So was this the best Star Wars show ever? No, not at all. Was it a decent show? Yeah, kind of. It just, it meandered, it sprawled, it lacked focus. To your point, it was telling the other side's story, not the lead character's story. Yeah. Well, and the other side was being strongly manipulated by Luthen. Everybody was getting strongly manipulated by somebody. True, but Luthen was trying to force the Empire to overplay their hand. Yes, absolutely. So that the rebels would man up and rebel. He was continuing to escalate things. Mm-hmm. To where each side was backed into the corner that was going to lead to eventual conflict. And he didn't want it to be eventual. He wanted it to be imminent. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing I want to talk a little about is casting. Mm. I felt whoever did the casting on this show made some mistakes. Yeah. One of the two ISB people that were kind of at each other's throats, metaphorically speaking, looked too much like the inside man Mm. in the heist. Levin looked a lot like the officer. And I'm sure if I were to get photos of the two of them next mm-hmm. to each other, it's like, you know, they don't look exactly alike. No, but we weren't getting long scenes with either of them. We weren't getting long scenes with either of them. It's basically, here's a tall, clean-shaven man in an Empire uniform. Yep. You know, which Empire uniform? It's like, hell, I can't tell them all apart. So, I mean... Yeah. There were also a couple of guys on Fenris that had kind of the curly hair and whatnot. And again, we're not spending too much time on them. So wait, is that this kid's father? Is this the guy who's working at the the junkyard kind of Mm -hmm. a thing or whatever it was? There were enough places like that. And again, we've got a huge cast of characters. Well, we had a tall, skinny guy with short, dark hair on the heist crew. Mm -hmm. And in the prison planet. Yep. Is it the same guy? Is it not? And it's one of those things that- they were, they were clearly different guys, but they looked so much alike, it drove me nuts. In the first season of Lois and Clark, they had, and I forget the actor's name, the Jimmy Olsen character was taller and dark hair, a little skinnier than Dean Kane. But if it's one of those where you see him for a little bit, you go back, you see another guy for a little bit, and I've had this problem in some other movies and stuff. If you cast people that the casting sheet description of is identical, yeah. And you haven't established the characters firmly enough, or you've got so many characters I lose track, you got to expect me to potentially get confused. Mm-hmm. And I'm not the laziest audience member or anything, but there are times here where, like, when Cassian comes back to Fenris and he gets met by somebody, I'm like, I guess I should recognize him. Who was this? Is that the guy from the bell tower? Is it this other guy? You know? Yeah. And at that point, 
we're going back to characters that, for the most part, we hadn't spent a lot of time on since the initial episode or two, and here we are in the finale. So that's where the sprawling story gets in the way, but also where not casting people that have a distinctive enough look or finding ways to make them memorable characters. Well, and some of that can be done with wardrobe. Well, some with wardrobe, some with the way they carry themselves, Mm -hmm. some with the way they speak and they act. Mm -hmm. If the inside man was either a little older or a Mm -hmm. little more beaten down or something, and the other one was much younger, more vibrant or something like that. Yeah. Even then, part of what would throw that out the window is Luthen goes essentially by two looks and two identities. Different hairstyle, different mannerisms. Yeah. Different voice. if they hadn't had the scene in his ship where he goes to the hidden compartment and changes identities, Mm -hmm. it could have been the whole time through and I hadn't realized Clark Kent and Superman were the same guy sort of thing. Yeah. So there was some unclear storytelling and some room for improvement. It was an entertaining show, but it was not anything for me like kind of the nostalgia stuff with Boba Fett or just kind of the generic coolness or whatever of Mandalorian. I think they really need to pull out the stops with season two. There were aspects of this that made me feel like they were banking on season two. If they spend season two building on stuff from season one, and I feel they have to, I'm going to have a problem with that because time is going to elapse from right now to whenever we have season two and watch season two, Mm -hmm. that I'm going to have forgotten who were all these people, what were their relationships, and I'm, I'm going to be amazed if they do a good enough job building that back up for me or just start the story expecting me to remember it. Yeah. So I think season two almost already has a strike against it at this point that I don't know that they can overcome. And certainly based on the quality of storytelling and execution of this, I don't think it's likely they're going to overcome. I want them to speed up the pacing. This oh, absolutely. So leisurely. This, this almost felt like there were three, maybe four stories to be told. And instead of telling them as, if they had done this as three two-hour kind of streaming movies Mm -hmm. that were a little tighter and ended on it and there's more coming. Yeah. And then, you know, the first one's all the stuff on Fenris, which would have been a hard sell. The second one would have been the heist. That would have been an easier sell. The third one would have been the prison planet. That would have been an easier sell. The fourth one kind of wrapping it all up or whatever. That might have worked better because it would have forced them to have been a little more tight. Yeah. Whereas here, again, things, it went at a snail's pace and it meandered and meandered slowly. Yeah. You know, aside from Cassian and Luthen on the run on Fenris early on and the escape from the prison and maybe the actual heist itself, I didn't think there were any real big set action pieces either. Mm -mm. So I felt they can do better. We've seen better. Mm Mm-hmm. Even Obi-Wan, which had problems, I felt was a better, more interesting show than this. It just felt 12 episodes for a guy who'd been in a movie six years ago. Yeah. And they probably realized he wasn't enough to anchor it, hence sprawling it out to these other bazillion characters. They've got a second season. I think they need to make the most of it because I don't know that it should get a third based on what I've seen so far. I don't think it should have gotten a second, to be honest. It needed it because they didn't finish a story. That's what I was thinking. So. I'm really curious to rewatch Rogue One and just see what has to elapse from where Cassian is now to where he is then. Mm-hmm. And then we'd get a sense in the second season, have they inched towards it or have they really moved towards it? Mm-hmm. So again, some places are saying it's the best Star Wars show. Absolutely not for my money. No, not the best. 
I mean, I I watched it because it was Star Wars. If it had been the same basic plot without the Star Wars connection, but everything else was more or less the same, I mean, you might need to tweak the droid aspect or whatever, not that that was a major part of it. It would not have gotten a second season. I think it would have been a hard sell for, for 12 episodes, and I don't know that it would get much buzz. I Honestly, I don't feel like it's gotten a ton of buzz. Mm-mm. And the articles I'm reading, I feel they're watching a different show than I am. Yeah. So your mileage may vary. Some people may love this. More power to them. I liked it. I didn't love it. Anything else? I think that does it. Cool. So we've just rewatched Rogue One. A Star Wars story. Star Wars story. They've done a few of those. Well, but I think it's funny. That's in the title. If they don't put that in the title, there are going to be some people who don't realize it's a Star Wars film. That's kind of sad. Okay, keep going. It makes sense. Yeah. So I think the two questions that come to mind in terms of Andor Season 1 and Rogue Squadron. Rogue One. Or, sorry, yes, Rogue One. I always do that. The two questions that come up between Andor Season 1 and Rogue One. Is the Cassian Andor that we get in Andor the one we see in Rogue One? I mean, it's the same character, but... Is the... Is the continuity insane? Yes. That's a great way to put it. And then the second question is, is Andor Season 1 the prequel we would have done from Rogue One? Which in and of itself is a prequel to Star Wars, but that's a separate issue. So to the first question, I think there were times in Rogue One that Cassian Andor I was seeing, I could see how he had become that character through some of the events implied by, but not yet happened in, season one of Andor. In other words, the buyer's name, I keep blanking on it. Oh, uh, Luth- Luthen. Luthen's influence. Yes, I see what you're saying there, definitely. Could be felt, do anything, do what it takes for the, the rebel cause and such. Mm-hmm. Cassian's not there yet in season one, but I could see how he could become this within a few years. But there are also a few places where I've been in this fight since I was six. It's like, well, you lost everything. As a kid, I felt like older than six, I'd say eight or nine at least. Six is when I assume the mining accident happened because they were the kids were alone by themselves for a few years before Marva came and took him away. You know, I didn't pay enough attention to the stated backstory for Cassian mm-hmm. in the movie to know what planets they think he was from. Never mentioned. Never bothered. Okay. Because I know at some point it's established, and it may be through secondary material of reference books or novels or comics or something, that it was not the mining planet, but the one he was raised on Mm. was where everybody thought he was from, as was mentioned in season one. Mm -hmm. Nobody knew. How did they find out? Yeah. So this, the movie made it seem like he'd always been a rebel. Yes. Always been passionate, always been against the Empire. So I would argue season one did some retconning. Yeah. There was also when he's imprisoned by Saw Gerrera's people, you know, this is a first for me, which kind of goes against that three or four episode arc in the prison where he escapes from it and such, which but, if, if that was his backstory at the time, and obviously it hadn't been because it hadn't been written, the line would have been of, I've gotten out of worse. To me, I'm going to go yes and no, because I wondered if they were going with the attitude of, this is the first time I've been imprisoned by the rebels. It didn't read that way to me. And it also implies... Because he was he had the tools hidden in his boots to break out of a prison cell. True. Which, if there'd been a line in the prison episodes of, I wish I had my other boots with me. Yes. 
Well, we all wish we had boots. No, no, my other boots <laughs> yeah. had the lockpicks. Yes, yes. You know, something of those are yeah. afterwards, it's like, I'm going to carry lockpicks with me, something. Yeah. There's some callbacks they could have done. Mm-hmm. I guess the other thing is he hadn't met Saw Gerrera in season one of Andor. And in the movie... He needed an introduction. He needed an introduction. Yeah. And even beyond that, when Saw sees him, there's no sign of recognition or anything. So that implies they never meet or should never meet in Andor. Right. Saw worked with Luthen. Yeah. And Saw, based on what we saw in Andor, Saw is probably breaking ties with Luthen at the end of season one. Because Luthen hung out to dry. Who was it? Krieger? Krieger, yeah. Well, and there's no mention of Luthen whatsoever or Cassian having lost a mentor or any of that kind of a stuff. So it's not an inconsistency, but it's things that need to be addressed between the two. In the movie, he's an intelligence officer. Yes. In the series, he's a pilot. Not to say you can't go from one to the other. Well, he was clearly also a pilot, but his role in the Rebel Alliance was intelligence. But it's hard for me to envision the rudderless character of Andor, the series, going in four or five years from that to being a respected intelligence officer. A lot needs to happen. And if they go for Andor for the four or five seasons to get up to this point, a lot needs to to grow in that character. Yeah. So again, there are a couple of places where I can see the connection. There are a few places where in terms of continuity and stuff, it seems to run afoul. And what we see of the Death Star being fully operational in Rogue One, which it, it always felt like in Star Wars, it was its maiden yeah. test shot or whatever, but clearly it had blown up two things before. It just, I mean, in, in seeing the, the scene, the end credit scene in the end of season one, where it's like, okay, they've built the dish and the skeleton of a few things. I mean, it, yeah, it's going to take years to build that kind of monolith or whatever, but I don't know. It felt a little, the character felt different and not in a- Not in a five years way to Not me. in a five years kind of way, yeah. Yeah, which, yeah, which is kind of what I expected in terms of mostly what I remember from when we watched the movie originally was the finale. The fighting on the beach. Everybody dies. Yes. And quite literally, everybody dies. And that there was almost that, I almost want to call it a Romeo and Juliet aspect to the everyone dies at the end. Mm -hmm. I would agree with that. I mean, the other question that comes up is, having just rewatched Rogue One, knowing they did a prequel series, what prequel series would you have done having watched Rogue One? Not Andor. I was going to say, yeah, for me, not Andor, because uh, Jen Erso seems like the lead character of the movie, getting her backstory would make a certain mm-hmm. degree of sense. F- starting with her abandoned in the bunker at age 16. She's the lead character of, of Rogue One. There's no two ways about that. Yeah. I mean, she loses her parents, we jump forward, and then we find out that she was abandoned by Saw Gerrera at age 16. Which presumably is like just before and or season one, I guess. But it's hard to tell how old she is. To me, if you had done a prequel series with her, starting with when she got abandoned at age 16. Yeah. Start with whatever leads to her being put into the bunker and then she realizes I'm all alone and she's got to start over. 
And Which is a logical story starting spot. Right. And she's starting over for the second time. So she can have those flashbacks to the bunker when she was younger. Yes, yes. Which would have tied it to the movie better. Okay. So I don't know what story you tell for kind of a she's alone trying to find her way. And quite frankly, she feels betrayed by the rebels. Because well, by both sides. She yes. wants nothing to do with the war on either end. Yeah. She would be in the bizarre mix of wanting to find a community and wanting to be left alone. Yeah. And that that paradoxical nature of she wants to get close to people, but she can't let people get close to her. Yeah. For a variety of reasons. One, the emotional damage, and two, the danger of it. Yeah. So I And that that could be a very compelling story. Well, and she could also still be on the run from the Empire. Yes. And there's a ton they could do with that character. Yeah. Now the other characters that I thought lent themselves to a prequel, and I had to look up their names, were Chirrut Imway and Baz Malbus. The I blind... Think? Yes. I, I can't call him a Jedi because he's no longer a Jedi, but clearly Force-sensitive and was protecting the temple or whatever. Yeah. And then the guy with the kind of the machine gun or the Gatling gun kind of... Yeah. And those two made a great pairing. Yeah. And there was the implied, there's a lot of backstory to be had between those two. And if you base it out of that temple city before things go totally south or as they're going south, you could definitely wind up with opportunity for stories to come to them of somebody doing their pilgrimage to the temple and needing help or whatever. So you've got kind of the primetime do-gooder series, a la uh, anything from MacGyver to the Equalizer, kind of a People come to them for help, but then do it to where over time, the Empire's forces and, and influence get heavier and heavier and heavier as they realize this is where we get the stuff we need to power the Death Star. You could almost do an opposite of Without a Trace. And Without a Trace, you investigated people who disappeared without a trace. Here, they're making people disappear without a trace. Yes. They're, they're... making Force-sensitive people disappear. Mm. I don't know. I can see that. I think the question is, how do you balance that with the Empire having a heavy presence there by the time of Rogue One that presumably grew over a certain amount of time, maybe in fits and spurts? The fact that Force-sensitive people are disappearing without the Empire, taking them, killing them, whatever, is what's drawing the Empire's attention. Yeah, they realize... The last time various people were seen were in that sector or heading in that direction or uh -huh. whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I think those two could do anything from the Underground Railroad of Force-sensitive people to the proactive, we've got to go help people Yeah. and just take on a mission, almost like the Mandalorian type stuff. Yeah. Different missions, different tone, different style. Oh, definitely. Definitely. But I think there's a lot that could be done there. Yeah. And I thought those two worked really well together. Mm-hmm. To do a prequel with those two, since it's been a couple of years since the movie, you may or I don't know, you want to recast, you might need to, you might need to, again, they're doing the same thing with Diego Luna, so I don't think the aging is that big of a deal over that period of time. But the other thing that was a, an inconsistency between season one of Andor and the movie with Rogue One, there were aliens everywhere. Yes. Speaking roles. Speaking roles incidental roles, yeah. it felt like the Star Wars universe. Yeah. And that's, again, a disconnect, I think, from the, the show. So I 
think building up the Rebel Alliance... Okay, first off, Jyn Erso's backstory, better prequel. Yes. Those two guys, better prequel. And then for the story, they seem to want to be telling in Andor of the Empire's influence and growing and stuff. If you had done Rebels and Empire or some play on that, Mm -hmm. where you wind up realizing they're almost flip sides of the same problem. Both have strengths and weaknesses. And it really just came down to which side of the street you woke up on one morning as to which side you're on and how you get from the maybe not great situation, because I forget where the original trilogy left off, to the this is completely insane and and the rebels have to break through and stuff in the, the original trilogy. Yeah. You know, that to me is another prequel series to be had where... Depending who you pick, you can go in any direction and focus on any things. Personally, I want a prequel series that is the eradication of the Jedi. The They did some of that in the Clone Wars stuff, which was an animated series. Okay. Or maybe that was a little before. I think that was what led into the eradication of the Jedi, which we really got in the prequel movies. Okay, yeah. Because the Order 66 happened there and then we're kind of done and, and jumped forward. I think there's a couple of other story aspects and whatnot, but again, watching Rogue One, if if the Empire side was them gaining power, building the Death Star, and kind of reshaping society and, and stuff, and then a couple of key players on the opposing side doing equivalent but not quite the same things, hmm. you know, assembling a rebel fleet, building the alliance, you know, whatever the opposite number sort of a thing would be. Yeah, You could do a very balanced series, and I would almost do it like a law and order kind of a thing. Mm. Yeah. Where one side gets one half hour, the other side gets the other half hour, and you realize there are a couple of things that are happening. You know, you see the same event from different angles or the impact of one on the other or something like that. Yeah. So I don't know that Andor, Andor continues to feel like a retcon in many respects, and I don't think it's the show I would have suggested or voted for based on Rogue One. Well, what I realized as we watched Rogue One was Andor starts out in command of his ship, etc., etc., and he gradually cedes control of everything to Jen. He lets her give the pep talk before the mission. Well, when he goes after to save her and stuff initially, it's somebody he just met and honestly didn't seem to care that much about. And then it's as if he's in love with her, but that's not really, I mean, that's kind of the path they imply, but nothing that actually builds that up. Yeah. There's yeah. not really an interplay. There's There seemed to be a missed storyline to be had there, too. Yeah. And I know when we rewatched or watched one of the uh, prequel trilogy, the deleted scenes had the entire love story that they'd kind of edited out of the film. Yeah. I don't know if the deleted scenes for this would do the same for Rogue One or not. Well, and in the one you just mentioned, we watched the director's introduction to each of the deleted scenes. And it's, you know, this didn't fit with the story I set out to tell. Yeah, there's sometimes I don't think the storyteller knows the story they're telling. Yeah. Or at least the story we're getting out of what they're telling. Yeah. And I definitely think both with Rogue One and and Andor, there's an aspect of that. Well, I think even if in Rogue One, Andor had had a line of no child should watch their parent die, that, given what we saw in season one of Andor, would where he watched his father figure die mm-hmm. and all that stuff, would have gone a long ways towards explaining 
why when he realized why Jin, didn't he take the shot yeah. and stuff like that yes there's some stuff they could have built in either way either in the movie to imply a backstory or yeah. with the movie fill it out in the backstory yeah there is an aspect of rogue one though where it's really star wars movie 3.95 or something like that yeah it's, it's an extended prologue yeah to a new hope yeah. Well, and it's very much Jen's story to the point that she is the only person on the cover of the DVD. Yeah. I mean, Cassian Andor was, was number two in the credits, but he shows up because, well, they need a pilot and, and he's there, kind of. a Yeah. And he's, I don't say the Poe Dameron of this era, but kind of, sort of. Yeah. You know, any other pilot, if Poe wasn't available, probably would have done just as well. Mm-hmm. So... Well, and both in the series and the movie, I felt like they were trying to give the character Han Solo qualities, but not quite hitting the mark. I think building up another Han Solo is really tough. Yeah. But part of it is Han Solo had attitude and a, I was going to say roguishness, but a, a charisma about him. He thinks he's a bigger deal than he is, and he knows he's not that big of a deal. Yeah. And it's a really interesting balance. And I never got any of that with, frankly, most of the other characters they've, they've built of that type. Yeah. I'm glad we rewatched the movie. Definitely. We've already done a full episode on it, so we won't get into you know, a lot of details and such. But I was kind of surprised how much I'd forgotten about it. I'd forgotten about those two guys, the blind guy and the, the guy with the machine gun. I'd forgotten this was the movie that had Alan Tudyk as, as the voice of, of the droid. I mean, I remember he'd done the voice of Adroid, but was it this one? Was it another film? Because there's enough mm -hmm. of them, they all starting to blur together. Yeah. The Rogue One has a lot of really good moments, highlight characters, etc. So yeah, I'm really glad we rewatched it. Yeah, definitely some fun stuff. Anything else? I think that does it. Cool. The show notes and forum for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.